Welcome to the Building Books Podcast. I'm Glenn Yepeth, publisher of Ben Bella Books, and on this podcast, we will talk about ideas, authors, and how publishing really works. Hello, I'm very excited today to have Elizabeth Marshall with me on the podcast. Elizabeth helps thought leaders and authors develop and refine their message, build and expand their platform, and develop strategies to create lasting impact. She's also the co-founder of Book Breakthroughs, which delivers a series of workshops on publishing. Now I believe there's a lot of them online as well. And she's also the co-author with Michael Port of The Contrarian Effect, which was what named one of the best business books of 2009 uh, by the Amazon Editorial Board. She's worked with luminaries such as Seth Godin, Keith Ferrazzi, Carol Roth, our own Carol Roth, and former Starbucks president Howard Bihar. So welcome, Elizabeth. So nice to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks so much. Before we get into all the details, how did you get into this business? So my very first book launch was in 2006 with Michael Port for his first book, Book Yourself Solid, which was published by Wiley. And that was such an incredible experience. It was my, as I mentioned, my first time to launch a book. And yet I was able to bring forward um, my former marketing and sales experience and apply it to a book setting. And um, in cutting my teeth on that launch, I realized that so much of what I had been doing in helping entrepreneurs become known for their message folded in quite nicely um, with the book space. But really, Glenn, it goes all the way back to my childhood when I told my mom I wanted to get paid to read books. And so here we are. (laughs) Didn't we all start that way? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's great. Now, what did you do before you got into the book space? So... So the short answer there is um, I had a background as a re- in recruiting and sales. and But, you know, really, as I look back throughout my life and, you know, even in high school, college, you know, beyond college, grad school, I always found myself in the role of influencer, advocator, um, right. marketer, both formally and, and informally. So um, while I had, you know, formal experience in both sales as well as in a year in management consulting, as, you know, you have that background as well. Right, that's right. But yes, that brought me to, um, I'll cut out some of the extraneous details, but that ultimately led me to working with entrepreneurs in partnership with Michael to help them get clients and then ultimately more specifically to authors and speakers. So, so many authors, you know, that we see or that uh, we consider for publication, you know, they have so much ambition, so many things they're dying to do in terms of having a successful book, but so few of them really succeed. What do you look for in a client that says, okay, this person has the potential to make it? Well, I I think, Glenn, as as I imagine, you know, Ben Bella looks through this lens as well. It's ultimately about the idea. You know, right. there's so many ideas that might make for a great bod, you know, podcast or for part of an interview or maybe even a video series, but don't have the integrity and the maturity to be a fully published book. And so in many cases, um, clients that come to me, I'm often saying, oh, you have, there's something here and you need to go off and test it either in the form of a keynote speech. You need to, you know, develop this idea as a, as a workshop or test it in different ways with your audience before you come up with the right concept that's actually going to be published in a book form that audiences want to buy. So, you know, I've noticed you said that, you know, for a lot of authors, uh, they're not ready to do a book. Is that is that what you mean, that they need to go out and test their ideas? Yes, either that, you know, they've they've picked a book idea that is out of alignment with the other 
areas of their thought leader platform. So, you know, if you're thinking about a book on knitting and you have a leadership consulting business, then <laughs> right. you know, that's an obnoxious example. But, you know, that disparity between the book and what you're doing with the rest of your business or the rest of your work, it happens so often. So I held it. I help clients look at, okay, well, what's the right idea for right now? Maybe you'll end up writing three or four books, but what is that great book idea that you're, is relevant for your audience? And, you know, some of the questions we talk about in publishing, why now? You know, why is this more relevant than ever before? Why you? What are you going to add to the conversation? And why this particular book? Out of all your areas of expertise, why is this concept or this big idea um, important to write about? Talk to me about the services you offer. So it sounds like part of it is helping authors or potential thought leaders refine their message. Yes. Um, and and not just the message for the book, because I, you know, like um Ryan Holiday has expressed in his recent book, Perennial Seller, um, you know, the best marketing plan starts when you create the book and the book idea. (laughs) And so if you're writing that book, not only in isolation from your audience, but in isolation from the bigger picture of what you're trying to create, then marketing is going to be an afterthought that's bolted on afterwards instead of being baked right in from the very beginning. So when clients come to me, I'm, I, you know, we're obviously working on a lot of book specific things, such as, you know, the the mess, the mm-hmm. messaging and positioning about how to talk about the concept, certainly how to market and launch and everything that goes, um, goes into that. But it's also how does the book fit in with your other nine elements of your thought leader platform? So, are there things that you need to do before writing the book, such as testing the idea? through a content series or through speaking, or maybe there's aspects to your website or your business that need to be repositioned differently so that all of the things fit together. You know, there's this euphemism that a book is a big business card, especially nonfiction books. I tend to <laughs> dislike that <laughs> analogy. I detest it, actually, because it's such a insult to right, an author right, who's worked right. so hard. I mean, like, terrible. At the same time, you do want to have some alignment and synchronicity between the various pieces of your work. So as you know, the idea I joked about a few moments ago that you're not writing about knitting when you're really committed to leadership or, you know, putting out a cookbook when you're really about communication in the corporate space or working with parents. You know, you you want to look at how the book is going to not just be an asset for readers and, you know, be a a resource as a standalone, but how does it serve to further the other aspects of the work that you're doing and vice versa? That makes so much sense. At least, especially in the business space, you know, the book is one component. Yes. Uh, It's one revenue stream that ties into often bigger revenue streams. And, you know, just saying the book is a business card, you're right, that's too dismissive. But in a way, you know, for for a lot of businesses, the book is an entree into the funnel of selling more expensive products that it's all part of one common ecosystem that has to work together. That's right. That's right. So, you know, and just a little aside, long before, you know, you, you referred to the fact that I started out in consulting. So long before I started Ben Bella, I was a consultant and I was with a firm called Index Group. And we were, when I joined them, we were a $30 million consulting firm, uh, 100 people or so. I can't even remember exactly how many. And we had just brought out a book called Reengineering the Corporation. This is, you're probably too young to remember this, but Reengineering the Corporation in the 90s 
sold 5 million copies. This little book that our CEO so and another fellow yes, did remember, together. Yes. And that book became a phenomenon. And that book took us from 30 million to 300 million, pretty much single-handedly. And I would walk into a CEO's office and he'd say, all right, you are the guys that wrote the book. That's a nice start to a business meeting. Absolutely. And, you know, Glenn, you actually touched on something interesting. I think, you know, in today's market, right, it used to be 15, 20 years ago that if you said that you had written a book, it'd be like, whoa, you know, that's really interesting and novel. And, you know, because of the shifting models in in publishing, you can literally go this afternoon and, <laughs> you know, publish something on, on Amazon that, um, you know, the guys at Brass Check did a funny article and did an experiment about, you know, writing this book called My Left Foot. And it was really literally taking a picture of his foot, <laughs> <laughs> uploading it to Amazon to show how quickly you can get a book out there. And so all that's to say is that when you're thinking about publishing or you're even, honestly, even between book one and book two, to realize um, that the market is saturated and just saying, I'm going to publish and hoping that the book is going to sell itself doesn't happen these days. And you have to right. be your own best advocate for the message all throughout the process. And and obviously, when you, you're able to work with great partners like Ben Bella, you have amazing collaborators to help a- advocate for you. But at the end of the day, no matter who you publish with or how you publish, you are the CEO of your book and business. That's so smart. Um, I'm really glad you said that. I mean, so many authors think, we talked about that integration with the business. So, okay, I'm in sales consulting. I'm going to write a book on sales. You would never launch a new business because launching a book is launching a mini business it without is. saying, well, what are the, who am I competing with? And where do I fit into that you know, competitive dynamic? People often don't do that with their books, but as a publisher, you have to do that. You have to say, how is this going to book be perceived relative to all the other sales books that are out there? Exactly. Or, you know, if you're trying to write the next radical candor, well, you know, how, what are you saying differently than That's right. That's has right. been mentioned in crucial conversations, fierce conversations, radical candor? What what are you adding or changing? Now, do you find that, and I, I see some, even some business book publishers saying this, that well, for business books, you're pretty much limited to the existing platform of the author. It's almost you're selling into your own market, which seems so defeatist. I, I hate that idea. But but for some books, that seems to happen. It's your your limit. So I will try to answer this for you. What has been your experience? Well, so I will say that, yes, Anne. I mean, I think it's always good for an author to be realistic that, you know, this book is for anyone. Well, <laughs> You know, a book on, you know, B2B sales is not <laughs> for, <laughs> right, for right. the stay-at-home mom next door. So, you know, when you think about your audience, it is good to be realistic in terms of those, you know, who you're selling to as far as your own existing community, you know, your subscribers, your social media followers. But then you can be very um, intentional and say, okay, what are the strategic relationships that I'm trying to build I define strategic relationships as those with key individuals and groups um, that serve the same or similar audience. So these are your podcasters, your bloggers, fellow authors and speakers, not to mention industry groups and associations and conferences that are very hungry for relevant ideas and content and are happy to feature authors and thought leaders as part of, you know, their ongoing activities, whether it be a print magazine, um, a webinar series they have going, you know, in and above and beyond their conference. And and I found, Glenn, that the authors that invest in these strategic relationships, that's what helps them become, in the words of Ryan Holiday, the perennial seller. 
So it's not just maybe how many people are on your email list or how many people are following you on Twitter, but it's also the strategic relationships that you form as a thought leader. Absolutely. Because you, you know, you might, um, here's a great example. So one of my clients has been able to build a relationship with an organization called Project Management Institute. PMI has almost a million members worldwide. And so, you know, when you're able to become a household name inside an organization like that, it may not mean you have a million new email subscribers, but you have access to a much larger community than you might have on your own. So look for those PMI equivalents in your industry, and they're across all industries. You know, um, let's talk about cookbooks for a minute. So right. you know, knowing that um, Ben Bella has um, that imprint, you know, especially, you know, in the food space, oh my goodness, we have all these, you know, niche and targeted communities and you see paleo and CrossFit and all of these groups working right. working together. And so when you can build relationships in service of others, service being the operative word, um, then you have an opportunity to meet, you know, reach a much wider audience than you could beyond just your own newsletter list. No, I think that's very smart. And you know, for, for other or outside of the business realm, you know, every other category does that very well. But I think it's in the business realm, sometimes people forget that. It is. And it's it's amazing. I just had a client launch about a month ago with a parenting book. And it, it was so fascinating to see the contrast, be reminded of the contrast between how communities congregate in the parenting category versus the business category, the customer experience category of an author who just launched two months prior. And it is. Every industry and category has its own, you know, ecosystem and its ways of That's being right. in relationship. But it's a matter of finding about how it works um, for your community and finding ways to build those relationships. And I think it's important for the it's part of the value added of the publisher or whoever the partner that the person is working with to help them, you know, create a book that's going to fit into their business, sell well into their existing market, but then grow their markets. You know, we we did a book with a great author, uh, Stu Heineke, called, um, and we decided to call it How to Get a Meeting with Anyone. So it's in that sales space, but it's a very unique kind of idea. He's just a, a genius at coming up with ways of meeting people that are kind of outside your pay grade that you wouldn't normally get to meet with. In fact, he met his wife that way. He I was, love that. <laughs> that's great. And, and so... But that's book, a great example. Yes. yes that, that how to get a meeting with anyone will say you're writing a grant. How do you pitch people for funding for your nonprofit or, you know, community action or various causes? We have to be able to sell people on our ideas. It's kind of, you know, not unlike the premise for Dan Pink's book, To Sell as Human, that so many of those ideas that we start with that original audience can be transferred to additional audiences. Right. But the other thing is that book is not for everyone. And mm -hmm. I think trying to make a book for everyone oh, makes yes. it for no one. Agreed. I like to say anyone is not an audience. And if you <laughs> put right. anyone into Google to search, you come back with a you know millions of hits and no nothing very useful. So what are you finding are the most effective ways to market a book? So that's the $2 million question, <laughs> right? You know, um, if I had a dollar for every change <laughs> but that's come down the pike, I would say one of the most important things is to have, you know, just like our financial strategies, to have a diversified strategy and not put all of your eggs into one basket. So, you know, if you think about the different categories of a launch strategy, so you're going to have a strategy for 
sharing content and selling the book to your existing community or newsletter list. Then you're going to have a strategy for um, sharing and promoting the book on social media. Some of those followers on social will be your subscribers and others, you know, may or may not choose to engage. And then there's the strategy to think about, okay, all these strategic partners that I'm building relationships with, what am I asking for? How can they promote? So, you know, things like um, getting booked as a guest on podcasts. I will tell you that podcasts are converting, continue to be such a powerful converter. We're seeing that too. For books, it's it's like Netflix. You know, you find this new show, you watch an episode, and then you binge, you know, all these back episodes. And so even if you've, you know, your book launched last year, you still have a great chance to have that episode be heard by you know, the constant stream of incoming new subscribers to that particular podcast. Um, so podcast interviews, really important. You know, social media promotion, it's one of those things that's essential, and yet it's more about that brand awareness over time. It's, right. it, it's rare that one post would result in <laughs> this massive influx of sales. <laughs> right. And yet, if a potential reader has heard about you seven different times in the past two weeks, well, that seventh instance that happens to be a Facebook post, well, then they might buy the book, but it's that accumulation of all of that exposure that they've had to you. So podcast interviews, you know, email marketing is interesting. It's not converting well as well in some instances as it used to. It kind of depends on your audience and community, but I'll just at least speak in the business space. It's um, a little bit more tired and there's a little less tolerance for it. But, you know, as you look at the different channels and mediums, through which audience audiences engage with you, you want to have promotion across all of those mediums and not rely on just one of them. And in addition, as I mentioned, you know, going to those industry associations and groups, you know, they can feature you through their channels as well. Yeah, no, I really like that. I like the idea of uh, we we try to we try to do this. It, you know, have a dozen irons in the fire. Yes. And like we say in Texas, if it runs, chase it. You know, <laughs> yes. stuff, stuff that's working, we want to do more of it. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, here's another thing I, you know, I like to say is that, you know, by the time you you get to your actual pub date or launch week, you should be on version Z of your strategy. Because if you are working on version A, that means that you're not paying attention to the opportunities that are coming down the pike. Right. Or as you're testing certain things and it's not working, then you need to be adjusting. So today's strategies, I mean, sure, the building blocks are going to be the same, but you want to be making adjustments and tweaks in real time, both to strategies that are popping that you didn't expect and and also to those tried and true strategies that for one reason or another are not working so well for your particular audience and business model. So you want to pay close attention to how things are working and being able to be willing and able to adjust accordingly. And sometimes it's execution, isn't it? I mean, yes. you know, to say, to generalize about email marketing, you know, those generalizations are real, but at the same time, if you've got that right email That's for that right, right group. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yes, it, it is. You can have the greatest strategy on paper, but it is about the execution. So how relevant is your marketing copy? How easy do you make it for people to say yes to helping you? You know, do you provide them good sample copy? You know, do you have good marketing materials? Even coming back to your cover, like how strong is your cover? Because that's a big piece of your marketing, you know, from a, in our Instagram world. Yeah, no question. And 
I don't know how much you wrestle with this with, with your authors, but one of the things that, especially in the business space, even more than in most spaces, the author seems to, there, there are some authors that seem to feel, uh, I've got this great thing. Let's just get it out. We just need to get it out. And the the realization that the quality of the book itself is is so fundamental is often missing. It's something that we have to sort of convince people that it's important. Oh, I feel like I'm the bad cop. I'm constantly <laughs> okay. slowing people down. And yes, I mean, I think especially in the business world, we come to authorship and book writing with this very like cerebral, linear mindset. And that doesn't work very well. Sure, you can, you know, start with an initial outline and say, okay, in 90 days, I'm going to have a really good first or second draft. But the reality is, is that, you know, messages are have a life of their own. And you have to work with the material or say, for example, you have this concept and you've just gone out and delivered a keynote that ties in with some of the themes of the books and, you, and you're and you listening and you get some really interesting questions from the audience that just pokes holes into your section three. Are you going to ignore it or are you going to go back and do the right thing and make it better? I don't know about <laughs> That's right. our listeners, but what was beat into my brain as, a, you know, growing up is that you do the right thing and and you go back and you make the idea better even when it's not fun, you know, when it takes longer than you anticipate, because once the book is published, sure, you can do a second edition, but you can't remarket, you know, you can't relaunch it. You want to write that book that is relevant, has that why now, but is is evergreen and is the best possible version of the idea. To- yeah, totally agree. And so often, I think it's hard for authors to get the perspective of a publisher. As someone who brings out you know, hundreds and hundreds of books, I've come to realize that a great book, you know, does 10 times what a good book does. And a good book does 10 times what a okay book does. It is orders of magnitude spending, you know, twice as much time on the book will yield, you know, a huge return. And so I see that, I see that all the time. And I think it's hard for uh, authors to get their, their heads around that. That's right, because I think, you know, in, in our in the publishing space, I think we don't talk enough about the emotional side of the journey, both yes. in the creation as well as the launch. You know, we don't talk about some of those expectations or assumptions, you know, like, for example, if I'm not a bestseller, everything is over, you know, which, <laughs> right. you know, with the launch of your book, it's actually the starting point, not the finish line. And and certainly on the, the writing and creation side of things, there's a lot of amazing voices and expertise to follow. But so as you're diving into your project, that's just it, you know, find a way to surround yourself with a community of other authors and writers and those who have gone before you, as well as consult um, those voices in the editorial space who will tell you how it really is instead of what you want to hear. And I like what you say about, you know, the the pressure, it's not all about having a big bestseller. You know, we've had books that have started out with, you know, selling 3,000 copies the first year and growing and growing. And our biggest example that has sold over 2 million copies, starting out with a few thousand because the book was great. Yes. And because, you know, books in the end, I think we've been doing a disservice to authors by saying it's, it's all about platform. You got to have platform because platform is important, but platform doesn't multiply the the impact of the book. It's when the people in that platform recommend it to their friends. That's when 
the book can explode. Right. The platform cannot fix a bad idea. Yes. That's <laughs> and right. you can only market, right. You only may only have so much relational equity to have, you know, friends and, you know, second and third degree network to promote a book because they like you, but not because the idea is great. Right. And, and people, every publisher's experience having a book they thought was great that just didn't do that, didn't sell that well for whatever reasons. But that's more the exception. When I, when I get a book in, that's fantastic. It usually does reasonably well, and sometimes it explodes. So I, I, uh, I like the fact that we we agree on this on this issue of, of quality. It's so important. Now, you at one time were doing virtual book tours. Yes, that- wait, yes. I like to say that was back in two thousand seven, the start of it, when teleseminars were cool, and Michael Port had hair. <laughs> Well, I thought that, I mean, I remember at that time I was thinking that was so innovative. It, You know, at the time, so the way that it started um, in May of 2007, um, and I was collaborating with Michael quite, Port quite a bit at the time, he sent out an email about Seth Godin's book, The Dip, and that he was going to have him on a teleseminar. And I s- immediately shot Michael an email. I was like, Michael, we never get to hear Seth, you know, because again, like scroll back. 11 years ago at this point, we didn't have the preponderance of video. Podcasts had started, but basically flopped. They really hadn't taken off. A lot of corporations were using teleseminars and then like the online marketing community. So you didn't have both the access and the willingness of authors to be interviewed on all these channels. So I said, Michael, I have an amazing idea. I think I want to... What if I brought together Seth and a panel of experts with me moderating the discussion? So he introduced me to Seth. The long story short is that we went to Portfolio, his publisher at the time, and they liked the idea and wanted to try it. And so that series, that business model was actually developed specifically for Seth, but it eventually, I mean, it exploded actually. And, and you know, then I offered those tours to a number of different authors over the next three and a half to four years. And I loved that series because I would have someone like Seth as the featured author whose book was being launched. And then I would bring on two to three other guest experts who had, you know, served a somewhat similar audience. And the goal was not to have a pitch fest or a book report, but to curate a conversation in and around the themes of the book. So we had a standalone piece of content that was interesting and different and yet would encourage, you know, listeners to buy the book. And, and, you know, what was so interesting about it is that, you know, I would bring on, you know, for various tours, you know, different great names from different industries. So somebody like David Allen, who wrote Getting Things Done, I would have people email saying, thank you for introducing me to David Allen. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) He's the god of productivity. That's right. But it was so rewarding to see, as Seth called the mashing up of tribes, to see all these great authors and thought leaders in their own right expanding their communities as a result of being a part of these curated conversations. So I had a great, such a blast with that series. And, you know, as good entrepreneurs do, you watch the trends and you you quit when you're ahead. And so- That's right. That's right. You got You always have to pivot, don't you? That's yeah. So, so I, right about the time that was winding down is when Janet Goldstein and I started Book Breakthrough, which was a live workshop in New York for three years. Um, now it's an on-demand course. But yeah, that was- um, you know, the next uh, great wave for me, which was really fun to design and lead in-person workshops as well. So in a way, you 
predicted the rise of podcasting. You were doing <laughs> podcasting before there was yes, podcasting. Yes, and, and I did. I did. You know, I never set myself up on iTunes, but I would record the teleseminars and then distribute them um, as a free tool. And the way that I, you know, the the business model for the teleseminars is either the author or publisher would pay for the tour. And my pitch or my, you know, persuasion there was that we want to make this content as free and accessible as possible so that, so that it will be shared certain episodes could be viral. I remember for one of Keith's tours, we had close to 3,000 people sign up. And at the time, that was really, right. I mean, really significant. I mean, you know, now it's really tough to get that level level of sign up for one event. But it's amazing to think back at how much has changed with publishing each and every year since then, you know, not only in terms of the business model and and how authors um, get to introduce to tr- traditional publishers, what options they have on self-publishing, but certainly um, then in the promotion as well. It's, it is the Wild West constantly right. changing. Now, is there something that you are finding really is working for 2018? So I would, you know, I would say it really comes back to relationships because I, you know, I'm always testing and trying some of those shiny new objects, you know, some of the new... yes. Like greatest <laughs> tools and techniques, um, but at the end of the day, if you have that really firm foundation with building rela- those strategic relationships, that is going to allow you to consistently reach a wider audience and you know sell beyond your current market, as you were saying. And I know that sounds like, well, sure, what's the new newest latest diet craze? Well, it really cut. This is kind of the proverbial diet and exercise <laughs> that it, right. that it's it's important to do and. You know, the amazing thing about it is that, you know, just through one relationship, you know, you could, as a result, have 10 new opportunities, you know, an interview, a guest post, all by nurturing one relationship. So when you pay attention to what's in front of you, and you're also, you know, going back to that comparative piece, watching what other authors are doing in your space, you're going to get a feel for not only outlets that could be right for you, but strategies that could work. So I think that's another piece that I see. I like to joke that what works for Seth won't work for you. You know, there's strategies that we see in the business space that work very poorly for fiction and vice versa. And so you have to know your space. And, and you know, obviously you don't want to copy other authors, but you can model and, and take some great um, learnings and lessons from what you see um, that's working with other comparative authors. Well, I think what you said, what you were saying about the importance of relationships makes a lot of sense because we live in a world now where there's so many people who have platforms that are significant. So I was reading like Joe Rogan has more people come on his podcast than while watching CNN. Yes. So more than like an Anderson Cooper. That's a new world. And having those right relationships, you know, it's not just three relationships with the networks or 10 relationships. There's literally a thousand relationships you could potentially have that could make a big difference for you. That's right. And I think, you know, my colleague Jason Gaynor Gaynor describes it this way. He says, you know, we're um, overflowing with contacts, but we're starved for relationships and community. And so just, you know, as in, you know, this has been true in different forms in the past, but I think when it comes to social media or the newsletter list, we we can get trapped into thinking about the numbers game. Well, how many, what number of subscribers or followers do I have instead of looking at, are these actually my right people? You know, just using the example of the newsletter list, you can have a newsletter list of 2,000 people. And if there are the right people, that 
community can be far more responsive than a list of 20,000. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. like not so and, much the right people. And uh, one of my authors uh, talks about the pyramid where, you know, if you if you have, you know, a thousand people that might buy your book and there's a hundred people that might buy your seminar series and there's 10 people that might go to a mastermind course with you. And so having those deep relationships with a smaller set of people actually might be more valuable than having 100,000 Twitter followers. That's right. Looking for those opportunities to develop relationships with individual readers. So if you, you know, a reader emails you to say how much they enjoy the book, take the time to personally respond to them, not your, you know, not your assistant. You respond to them and say, thank you so much. I'd love for you to do an Amazon review, but thank you. You know, so, I mean, you may not always ask for that in that moment, but when you acknowledge and express gratitude, I mean, if we think about it, how lucky are we that there's an audience of people that wants to read our work and to like absorb our message? They have so many choices and different avenues um, for content, you know, coming from this place of appreciation and gratitude and making the most of each and every opportunity um, helps speed up the process as well. No, that makes so much sense. I, I think about one of my authors, uh, Lindsay Nixon, who's a cookbook author, and she runs the Happy Herbivore site. And she obsessively, I would say, responds to every author, or every person who comments. She worries about anybody that's upset about anything. She takes care of that group from the very beginning. And that level of obsessive care about her platform led to growth and growth. And when we brought a cookbook out, it exploded because people loved her. They knew it was a real relationship. Yes. And then the community feels like they're a part of the book as well, even though their name is not on the cover. It's it's right. that shared ownership. You know, we're in the shared economy. I, You know, no matter what stage you're in, whether you're currently working on your book, whether you're about to launch or in between book one, two, or three, that when we're fostering our community and allowing them to become a part of the process, they not only buy in, but they feel in a good way, a sense of responsibility and a desire to want to spread the word and to do things to support you even when you don't ask. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, what exciting things have you got coming up in the future? Well, so I'm just, uh, it's been such an exciting year. I'm just catching my catching my breath. So um, I've launched two really interesting books this year. One was a a big launch with Portfolio called Never Lose a Customer Again by Joey Coleman. And that's speaking of I've someone, seen that book around a lot. Yes. We're proud that that was a Wall Street Journal number two bestseller on the business list. Congratulations. Um, and, you know, Joey's a great example of what we've been talking about, that he embodies the message and he cares so much, you know, his premise and big idea is that the bar for customer service and experience is on the floor and that we, after a customer buys our product or service, we say thank you and we might do a few other things after that, but do we really nurture a relationship so that we have, you know, we create that surprise and delight. Um, So that was a really fun book to work on and to see, you know, all the great support that he has had by modeling what he teaches. Um, And then another book um, by Debbie Reber called Differently Wired, raising exceptional children in a conventional world. It's watch out for Debbie. She will be on um, the TEDx stage sooner than later. It was fascinating to have these two launches so close together and just to see how community is formed in, you know, two different industries and communities with two authors who are equally loved, but again, different business models and different ways of 
of doing things, but it'll be exciting to see. Uh, her book just launched a couple of weeks ago, so um, but she's already been on the todays.com's parenting page and doing a Facebook Live, and so she's Fantastic. gotten some good traction there. So, so you must be exhausted. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's been an exciting start, but yes, yeah, so to be yeah honest, you know, the next couple of weeks, I'm just catching my breath a little bit, but yes, yeah, some... We'll be potentially speaking some in the in the fall, and then I have yeah the the next wave of some launches coming up in early spring. And if folks want to learn more about you, follow you, what's the best way to do that? Great. So my website is elizabethmarshall.me, and that's E L I Z A B E T H Marshall with two L's dot me. And then I also have a Facebook page. I recently did a series after the launches a five-part Facebook Live series called Book Launch Truths, talking about some of the oh, wow. emotional challenges, the, the expectations, the assumptions. The I love that. What do we do with the rejection and all of that? Um, so you can find that on my Facebook page. All right. That's great. Elizabeth, thank you so much for making the time Absolutely. here. It's been Happy- really fun talking to you. I really enjoyed it as well. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Building Books podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen to it, or share it on social media. If you're an author who wants to submit a proposal or pitch to Ben Bella Books, please go to benbellabooks.com, click on the Four Perspective Authors button, and I'll lead you through a little form that makes it real easy to submit to us. Thank you.